Hello and welcome into the Feels Like 45 podcast. I'm your host, Cade Webb. And as always, I'm joined by Dustin Ragusa. And today we're going to break down the last campaign, last game, in Oklahoma State's 2021 season against Notre Dame coming up on Saturday in the Fiesta Bowl. Dustin, how are you, man? How was your Christmas? Uh, How are things in your world? It was good. Thanks for asking. We uh, just hung out in Oklahoma. We kind of alternate going to Baton Rouge and staying here. So with the baby, we hung around here, kind of kept it low key, hung out with my wife's family, and it it was a fun time. How was yours? Uh, good. Ours was really good. I'm glad you guys got to do that. It's, uh, it's always funny when you, uh, have children. So obviously this being the first Christmas with your baby, this was the second one with Olivia, but as you saw, uh, you know, two months old, don't really know what's going on during Christmas. So, uh, that's kind of where we were last year. Uh, but Olivia is, you know, now two and some change. And so this year Santa came left cookies and, uh, it was pretty cool, honestly, like it was, as memorable a Christmas as we've had in a really long time. And uh, so those moments are definitely like, that, that was a big one. That was cool. Yeah. So, no, that sounds awesome. Yeah. We got her a little tykes basketball goal, by the way, threw oh, it out on Twitter. Nice. And uh, yeah, it was more my gift, but uh, yeah, I, I'm glad it's around because she's had this affinity for basketball, which is, I don't know where it came from. We, we don't watch a ton of basketball outside of Oklahoma state, but uh, she loves it. She she knows to yell boom when you dunk it. And so yeah, she's <laughs> just she's ate up. Uh, don't let her get anything easy inside. Yeah. Oh, absolutely not. You gotta make, come strong make sure, in make sure, yeah. If she takes it inside, you swat it. Yeah, you know if you come into the paint in this house, you know what you're <laughs> dealing with. Absolutely. Well, I'm glad you guys had a a good holiday and, and hope you guys uh have a great new year coming up. But uh, I mean we got a lot to get to and, and um yeah. Kate, it's just you and I. We had, we had guests on and now we're back to normally. Look, yeah. I love Lunt. I love full. Well, I love Lunt. I like Fuller, but I like it. I like, you know, I like when it's just me and you. Well, we cleared out the riffraff and we got back to basics, right? So <laughs> I'm glad it's just me and you. It's good to see your face again. And uh, yeah, again, a huge shout out to Lunt and Fuller, by the way. Those were two really fun episodes. Um, yeah, we got a lot of good feedback. We did. And it's always such an interesting change of pace for you and I, because we've been doing this together for so long that anytime you throw another person into the mix, it's like, okay, we, we, cause you and I know each other's like speed and tempo and all this, you throw another person into the mix. It's a whole different ball game. So uh, anyway, we'll definitely have more guests as we, you know, get into the uh, off season, got to fill a pod somehow. So, um, but Dustin, I mean, Absolutely massive game coming up on on Saturday in Phoenix, right? I mean, the, I, I heard Pat Jones on the radio today say that this is the biggest game that anybody at Oklahoma State has ever played. I don't know if I agree with that, but it's certainly a conversation point uh, just from the sheer fact that it's Notre Dame, right? It, yeah. I mean, it's it's Notre Dame, Bama, Ohio State. Like, those are those are the teams you think of when you think of college football, at least in my mind. Yeah, it's a big, big name, big bowl game. Obviously, being in the college playoff, 
had a chance. So it's a little disappointing there, but it's still a huge game. Personally, just to be selfish, I love this matchup because they've never played. And I think I've said it on the podcast before, but my grandpa went to Notre Dame and I've been up to South Bend a few times. My dad's been to multiple games up there. Um, he's, he's passed now, but I know he's going to be, you know, cheering them on from up there. And, you know, my dad, he obviously will be a little torn between Oklahoma state and Notre Dame. So pretty cool for me. I know it's cool for the guys as well, just to make it like I like to do just to make things about myself. So, (laughs) Oh man, that's awesome. I I didn't know the context there, but uh, yeah, I mean, Notre Dame may, may be the most storied, you know, college football program, period. End of sentence. The gold gold helmets, uh, you, you think of them when you think of college football. I mean, the superlatives go on and on, and I don't want to, you know, belabor it, but when, when this came out, when the possibility of Oklahoma State playing Notre Dame came out, as disappointing as it was to finish the season on, on the note that you did, you know, probably half a foot from the college football playoff, and in my mind, I think they get in, they win, or they get in the end zone, they're in the playoff. That's how I see it. Um, but Notre Dame's a pretty darn good consolation prize in, in Phoenix, oh, yeah. Arizona. So there's no moral victories. Again, I think I've said this, the, the program's above that point. There are no moral victories, but this is a huge deal. And Notre Dame has a really, really good football team, a team that was also flirting with the playoff bid themselves, um, you know, until uh, things didn't break their way and they, they were kind of pushed out later in the end of the season. But I mean, a lot to get to with them. They, you know, may break the idea that you have in your mind of them because, you know, as Dustin and I were talking and here, I'll turn it over to you in a second, Dustin, but this is not what I think of when I think of Notre Dame, like the way they run their offense is not what I think of when I think Notre Dame, I I was imagining, you know, a Stanford style offense, pro style smash mouth, what Notre Dame has been for a really long time, except under Brian Kelly. That's not what they are. They, they are a spread style offense in Dustin. I mean, what do you see out of them that, that, you know, maybe we haven't seen this year? Yeah. And they're obviously their defense is their strength. Their offense is kind of second to their defense, similar to how Oklahoma state is, but they really aren't that bad statistically. I think they're in, they're in the top 30 in offensive points for drive the, their F-plus rating, which takes the uh, FBI ratings and then Bill Conley's S&P Plus, they're 22nd in offense of F-plus. So it's not, it's not a terrible offense. They've looked really bad at times this year, but on the whole, it hasn't been bad. But scheme-wise, like you said, it's, it's West Coast spread. That they're going to People talk about Mike Gundy's offense at Oklahoma State, and they call it type of power spread. Think of the same thing there. Yep. They keep, they pretty much have a tight end on the field at all times. Michael Mayer, number 87, he'll be out there. So they're, they're in a, at least some type of 11, 12 or 21 personnel pretty much at all times. But like you said, they go a lot of two by two. They go on a lot of trips with a single receiver to the other side. That's been, that's been a Brian Kelly staple since he's had guys like Michael Floyd and Kyle Rudolph to kind of overload one side of the formation and isolate that backside receiver. He'll do it with his tight end or his wide receiver, their schemes mostly zone a lot of inside zone. I think yep. they want to run outside zone, but they don't do it very well. But then they mix in a lot of counters, power. I saw some QB draw when they have their backup Tyler Buckner in there, who we'll get to in a little bit. I saw some HP draw later in the season. But one thing that really stood out to me, and I was able to get some all 22 film. Shout out to my buddy that sends me those. Earlier in the season, they were a big check with me team. And what I mean by that is 
they set up, look to the sideline after they see what the defense is doing, and the, the coach calls the plan from there. Later in the season, they went a little bit more tempo, and quarterback their quarterback, Jack Cohn, seemed to be a lot more comfortable with that. So I would expect to see maybe a mix of both, some check with me, some tempo when we see Oklahoma State, but that's kind of my overall encompassing of their scheme and style with Tommy Reese, former Notre Dame quarterback, as their offensive coordinator, and he's been there with Brian Kelly, so it's, it's still a Brian Kelly offense right now. No, it's a great breakdown, Dustin. It's it's a lot of what I saw too. You know, Jack Cohn, Wisconsin transfer. That name, if that name rings a bell, um, dude is a really solid quarterback, and and he runs that style of offense really well. But they've also got two other guys that that can go a little bit. And Tyler Buckner, who you've already mentioned, uh, is a runner. He's actually in terms of of yardage, he's he's their second leading rusher on the year. Tyler Buckner is so they'll bring him in, you know, not to throw, but he can, he can mix it up. He's got 35 passing attempts to 46 rushing attempts on the season. So they'll bring him in to mix it up a little bit. Definitely something to keep an eye on um, with them. But, you know, obviously, you know, the big storyline with them is, is not meant necessarily who they have, who they are without on the offensive side of the ball. And you, to me, it's, it starts with Kyron Williams at, at running back, right? I mean, you look up at any Notre Dame game during the year, Kyron Williams is, is running wild for a touchdown in 14 on the year and he's not playing. So that's a big loss. Um, I, I, I went and looked Chris Tyree, Logan Diggs, definitely formidable in their backfield. Chris Tyree actually uh, had a long, long kickoff return in that Wisconsin game for a touchdown. So no shortage of talent there, but definitely something to keep an eye on uh, with them. And uh, in addition to a player that they're also missing in Avery Davis, as you and I talked about Dustin, but definitely a storyline is who they're missing in, in yeah. that scheme to make it go. Yeah. So, Kay, do you want to just kind of you want to go position by position? Let's, unit for let's them do it. Just kind of break it down. Yeah. Cool. Let's start. Let's start with the offensive line. So they're going to start Joe Alt at left tackle. They've got Christophic at, at uh, left guard. They've got uh, Kane Madden at right guard, Jarrett Patterson at center and Josh Lug will be at right tackle. So Notre Dame's offensive line has had some shifting around this year. Alt is a young guy, played some tight end at high school before switching to offensive linemen. They had former five-star recruit and freshman starter Blake Fisher there. He suffered a meniscus tear in their opener at Florida State. So they had Tosh Baker and Michael uh, Carmody come in. They were kind of splitting reps there. Had some injuries there. And Alt came in, and he's been pretty solid for him. I believe he came in in the Cincinnati game, and he hasn't left the lineup since. He's not he's, – he's young. Like I said, he played some tight end in high school, so he hasn't been at that tackle position for very long. But he's a solid player. And then again, on the staying on the left side, Christophic, he came in. I can't remember exactly which game it was. I believe it was Virginia Tech. But Zeke Corral was starting at left guard, and he came in and kind of backed him up there, and he's taken over there. So they've had a lot of movement on the left side. And it was honestly, there was some injuries involved, but it was mainly due to poor performance. However, at center and on the right side, Jared Patterson is an incredibly talented player at center. And their right guard, Kane Madden, has gotten progressively better as the season has gone along, and he's probably the second-best lineman on their team. And then Josh Lug at right tackle, he's been okay, nothing great. Their big problem this season has been they are unable to get much push on the line of scrimmage in their run game. And then their pass protection at the beginning of the year was so poor when they were playing better defenses like Wisconsin, Cincinnati, Purdue. And as they've been playing worse defenses, obviously you've seen it get better. 
but they are, I think they rank a hundredth in sacks allowed per game, hundred or hundred and first. Yeah. They've, they've given up 33 on the year, Dustin. Yeah. So uh, that's kind of my take overall. It also that their offensive line coach Quinn, it's unsure he's going to come back or not. So this could be his final hurrah at Notre Dame. He's an older guy, but Cade, what, what do you think on their offensive line? Basically this is probably where Oklahoma State's defense can exploit Notre Dame the most. The Oklahoma State defensive line versus the Notre Dame offensive line may be the key matchup of the game. Yeah, I think you're spot on, and I think it's where Oklahoma State will could ultimately have a lot of success here. I think potentially it's the area they're going to have the most sustained success because if you go back, watch that Wisconsin game, even the Virginia Tech game, those defenses were able to get pressure by sending three or four. They're not having to commit extra extra linebackers or extra defensive tackle, whatever they're having to do. They don't have to do too much extra um, in order to create pressure. And, you know, at 4.2 yards a carry, I mean, that's good, but it's really not great, and it's not going to win you a ton of games. They're really just like – it's a serviceable run game and nothing more than that. And so I'll be interested to see what they're able to do against Oklahoma state. Who has had a great defensive line all year, a, a great linebacker core. Who's going out for their last hurrah, as you already said. So I think you're spot on there. You know, I'll be interested to see what Oklahoma state's able to do. It looked like early on in the year, uh, again, as you already mentioned, when they were playing some of those more um, impressive defenses in Wisconsin, Cincinnati, Virginia tech, like they could, they saw confusing looks and it did confuse them. I, Cone is an experienced guy, but I think on that offensive line, he's not all that mobile. He can move a little bit, but I think that could be a, a factor is if Oklahoma State's back end is able to create confusion. It's been something we've talked about all year, right? If they can do that, you like, you like where things are at, but in looking at the tape, like that's given them issues most of the year. Yeah. yeah. And Caden, I think, you just perfectly segued us. Let's talk about the quarterbacks for Notre yeah. Dame because they've played three of them this year, and we can kind of get into why that's happened and what's gone on there. They're going to start Jack Cohn, 6'3", 223 pounds, like you talked about, not super mobile. He can run it. You're going to look at his rushing yards, and obviously they, they include sacks, and we talked about how many sacks the offensive line's given up, so I think he has like negative 96 rushing yards or something like that he can run the ball a little bit they do some zone read stuff as i mentioned he doesn't keep it a lot they don't do a lot of design stuff for him normally that would be with their backup who we'll get to next but you know he's a former wisconsin guy transferred his one season where he started at wisconsin his junior year 18 tds five interceptions this year at notre dame 20 tds five interceptions 68 percent completion percentage 2641 yards so he's not a not a huge volume guy, not a huge yardage guy, but he's smart. He's, he's pretty savvy. He takes risks. So you'll see, like, I'm sure Cade, you saw on film, he'll throw into double, triple coverage sometimes, but it'll get through. He's not afraid to throw it there. But as you see with five interceptions on 318 attempts, he, he does a pretty good job of getting the ball there. Now saying that not an overly strong arm, pretty inaccurate on the deep ball they struggled this year to hit on the deep balls and they've got some receivers some nfl talented guys and he had some trouble getting it to them but he got he got banged up in the wisconsin game that's why they played their third string quarterback because their second string was hurt drew pine then in the virginia tech game they benched him they bring buckner out their second string he gets hurt cone comes back in and leads him to a come come from behind victory so 
he's had a kind of roller coaster season, but he's a pretty consistent guy. I'd almost say he kind of reminds me, Cade, just to compare him to a Big 12 quarterback, maybe like a Brock Purdy light, mm. like maybe a little bit worse than Brock Purdy, just all around game wise, and maybe not as good of a running ability, but he's kind of got that quick short game down. His quick to his short to intermediate game accuracy is is re- where he excels. He's a big guy too. I mean, his measurables aren't off the charts, but he stands in the pocket really well. And as I mentioned, yeah. he's not going to run. You you've already hit on that, but he does move around the pocket well, and he has to because if not, I think those sack numbers will be even worse. But I mean, you know, looking down his uh, the last half of this his season. Um, USC 189 yards passing 213 against North Carolina 285 Georgia Tech 345 against Stanford he clearly found something late in the year and and again only six interceptions on the year so okay yeah not to interrupt you but you you literally laid that out perfectly I I mentioned it earlier they went to more of like an up-tempo started adding in some RPOs and obviously they're playing worse defenses but I think that made him more comfortable because he was able to get the ball out without getting that pressure in his face. But uh, continue. No, I, just I think you throw that in there. I think you're spot on, and his his attempts go up. It looks like his yards per attempt go down a little bit, but he doesn't Quick turn game. the ball. Yeah, as you just mentioned. So the stats back up what you're saying, and like he doesn't turn the ball over, and you would expect that out of a senior quarterback. But he is aggressive, and that's what was interesting. Like you saying that, I've said that I love when you say things that I notice, <laughs> and I just kind of write it down. I'm like, okay, this is hey, we interesting. work well. Yeah, <laughs> we really do because he does like force it in there, but it doesn't seem like there's ever really, um, you know, something to pay for when he does that. So I'll be interested to see what he's able to do. I mean, Oklahoma State by far is going to have the best defense that he's faced, you know, since Cincinnati or Wisconsin. He only turned the ball over one time in those games, but Wisconsin got to him five times. So again, yeah. that was that was back on September 25th. So whatever happens between then and now is going to be all about that offensive line, you know, kind of going back to that a little bit. How much has it improved? Because I think Oklahoma State, if they can get to Cone, like I think they can rattle him a little bit. But again, senior quarterback, you expect him to play well. No, I completely agree. If they can, if they can get to him, and I think if they can get to him early, like I said, I, I think he's got to complete a few passes to kind of get in the rhythm. And it's weird saying that when I said he's a smart, savvy, experienced guy, but I think that's just something that happens to pretty much all quarterbacks. Yeah. You know, Gundy's talked about it with Spencer Sanders, but. Before we move on from quarterback, we don't have to talk about Pine because he really he really only played in that uh, Wisconsin game. I think he maybe got in one other game, but Tyler Buckner. Yeah. So they're going to play him. He'll come in and he will play a couple gadget plays or he might even come in for an entire series. Or if Cone is struggling, like we saw in the Virginia Tech game, they bench him and put Buckner in. So Buckner's 6'1", 215 pounds, true freshman, get to play his senior year due to the COVID restrictions in California. So really this is his first year to play football since his junior year of high school. It's crazy. It's got a live arm, great runner. They'll do some QB power. They'll do zone read with him, QB draw. They like to roll him out. They do this power, uh, offensive line blocks power. So the backside guard will pull around to lead block and they will pitch it out to the running back, but it almost looks I haven't seen him do it, but it almost looks like Buckner has the option to keep it. It looks like it's a read, but he he's pitched it every time I've seen it. So I'm not hundred percent sure, but he kind of takes a few steps and then pitches it. 
kind of a cool play, but they'll do a lot of, a lot of interesting stuff when Buckner is in. It's the only time I saw them do QB draw. It's the only time I saw them run any kind of designed QB runs was when Buckner was in. He had a hamstring injury earlier in the year, but he's looks like he's hundred percent to go good to go. And I definitely think we see him in this game and he he's not just going to come in and run it. He can throw the football. So I think he's 21 for 36 on the year with three TDs, but he is a, a little bit riskier with the three interceptions as well. So what'd you think on Buckner? He, he scares me uh, because he's a new <laughs> element, but he comes in like, you just have to hold your breath a little bit. And they do a lot of funky stuff with them. Teams have been able to defend him well, but I, I look at Stanford, Georgia Tech, and Virginia Tech. Stanford, he had three carries for 56 yards with a 33-yard carry in that game. Uh, Georgia Tech, five carries, 67 yards with a 68-yard rush in that game. Uh, and then at Virginia Tech, 12 carries for 67 yards. So he can run it, and he can run it, like, with volume. Like, there's no um, hesitation to make him – and, you know, at the time it would have been Kyron Williams, but um, – there's no hesitation to put him and the running back in that zone read game and really try to, to hammer the ball downhill. I, I wonder though, Dustin, how they're able to do, like, do we see more Tyler Buckner in this game? If Wisconsin, or I'm sorry, not Wisconsin, if Notre Dame has issues running the ball, like I do expect them to, do you see more Tyler Buckner to kind of offset that? Because I thought at the beginning of the year, they were bringing him in to, to fix a problem, but that's not the case. He's a, he's an asset and it's another thing you have to prepare for. It's almost like when Rudolph and JW Walsh were running around. Yeah. There. That's per, That's a perfect analogy. It's very similar to that. We just couldn't run that. <laughs> <laughs> I do. I do think, I do think we could see some Buckner, I'm expecting Notre Dame, and we can get into this a little bit more when we kind of wrap up their offense, but I'm expecting them to try to pass to set up the run game. I'm thinking they're going to try to go the Baylor route from the Big 12 championship game, the Iowa State route, try to get some quick short game. They do have some RPOs they like to mix in, so mix that stuff in. So I definitely think it's going to be a heavy dose of cone early on, but I think as the game winds down, Oklahoma State makes some defensive adjustments. I do think you're right. I think we see some more Buckner. So, Kate, do you want to move on to the guys that they're going to throw it to? I sure do. Okay. So we've got Kevin Austin. He's their guy. That's their NFL receiver. There's talks that he might even forego his few, the rest of his playing career here and go to the NFL after this season. He's one of their primary deep catches. I think he had uh, eight catches, seven catches, 20-plus yards down the field this year. 60% on contested catches, which is pretty good. He struggled with press coverage early on in the season, I noticed, but he's he's gotten better. But I expect Oklahoma State to test yeah, him that's... and get up on him a lot. But leading receiver, 42 catches, 783 yards, six TDs. That's a bad thing to struggle with against uh, Oklahoma State's corners, isn't it? Yeah, no, it truly is. Second, Michael Meyer, tight end, 6'4", 251. He is the scariest person, I think, going up against this Oklahoma State defense because we saw what Oklahoma did early to Oklahoma State with their H-back tight ends. We saw what Iowa State did hitting Kolar for, I think, six catches for 70, 80 yards. I, I would expect Oklahoma State – so they line him up all over the place. He lines up at tight end, slot, outside, H-back. I even saw him in the backfield by himself on a play and then get motioned out to the uh to a receiver and they snapped to the quarterback they snapped to the cone but i think when he's in the slot or in the tight end position i expect oklahoma state to bracket him and what that means is having devin harper or malcolm rodriguez kind of 
get a little chip shot on him, have the safety over the top of him. So he can't get anything on the short, quick hitches and he can't get anything over the top of the seam. So I'd expect them to pay a lot of attention to Michael Mayer. He's another big time contested catch guy catches the ball primarily in the middle of the field or short outside the hatches. I saw a lot of shallow crossers with him. I saw a lot of him leaking out late kind of right behind the center catching it there. So pretty talented player. Then, as you mentioned earlier, Avery Davis, he was their main slot guy. He got injured in the Navy game, torn ACL out for the season. Then next up as their leading receivers is Kyron Williams, 42 receptions. That's He's wild. out for the game. And then after that, you've got Braden Lindsay, who's another outside guy, deep threat. They just haven't been able him and Cone haven't been on the same page, but they've been throwing to him a lot downfield. He's another guy they'll throw. They'll give two. they'll give reverses. Things like that get him involved in the running game. I think he's got like 70 rushing yards on four attempts. Then you've got Lorenzo Styles, 6'1", 195. He's taken over Avery Davis's spot in the slot. Speedy guy. They they like to throw the slot fade to him, 16 catches. Then after that, you've got Chris Tyree, who's another running back. And then no other receiver has more than four receptions. Joe, Wilkin, Joe Wilkins and Deion Colsey will be the other guys that get snaps, but – other than that, Takis, their other tight end, who I, I said they run a lot of 12 personnel as well. I think he only has three catches this year. He's not a guy they throw to, number 85. So it's going to be a heavy dose of Austin and Mayer, and I think a little bit of Lindsey mixed in there. No, I, that's that's the way I see it too, and I, it's funny that you already dropped Kolar because I had written that down. Michael Mayer, Charlie Kolar. Almost the same guy. I mean, even if you go down and look at their stat line, I mean, Michael Mayer had 64 catches, 768. Charlie Kolar had 58 for 723. They both had five receiving touchdowns this year. So very similar usage. And even in a, in a similar type of scheme, I do think they're even more creative with, with Mayer than they are when, than Iowa state is with Kolar. Cause as you said, they'll, they'll move them all around the field. It reminds me of what like, Oh, you would do with Austin Stogner. Um, that's kind of what I see with that. He scares me too. He's the one that I circle star highlight because it's like Devin Harper, as great as he is, Malcolm Rodriguez, as great as he is like, that's, that's a mismatch. That's, that's why he's there. That's why they move him around the way they do. So definitely the guy to keep an eye on um, because as you've already mentioned, you know, Kevin Austin on the outside, I, I, expect him to get his he's a difficult guy to defend but cone and austin have already struggled to connect on the deep ball so they're going to get theirs as long as it's not those over the top you know defense breaking plays i think you can live with that um it's what mayor is able to do in the passing game that that gives me a little bit of concern yeah i completely agree he's He's definitely the scary one on that in that receiving. I mean, a, court and there. a storyline here too. I mean, you already mentioned Kyron Williams, their fourth leading receiver. That's a huge loss, not just out of the backfield. For I mean, he's he's their leading rusher and their fourth leading receiver. I mean, he had almost fourteen hundred all-purpose yards this year from scrimmage. So I mean, that's yeah. a huge huge loss, huge loss. Yeah, and that Kate again, you're killing it with the segues because we're going to segue right into the running backs, but. You're right. And they do a lot of stuff. What I mentioned earlier, they run some 21 personnel, which is two running backs, one tight end. They will have Kyron Williams split out wide and Chris Tyree in the backfield as the running back. So he's literally lined up as a wide receiver in those two yeah. back sets. We've seen Oklahoma State do some of that in the past, but he he is a big time receiving threat. And I think that'll be something they use him in the NFL as well. So yeah, let's get to the I'm running sure. backs. Let's do it. So let's we've do got it. we've got Kyron Williams. 
204 attempts, 995 yards, 14 TDs, 5'9", about 200 pounds. One big thing we haven't mentioned about him, he's similar to Jalen Warren. He is really solid in pass protection as a running back, and I think that's one underrated thing that Notre Dame is going to miss from him because they've got talented guys behind him, but the pass protection, and then obviously we talked about his ability to be a receiver, is huge. Also, just to kind of – again, just kind of trash Notre Dame's offensive line. <laughs> I saw that he's 16th on pro football focus in yards after contact. Jeez. And I want to say it was about 700 of his 995 yards came after contact. Again, PFF stuff has to be kind of taken with a grain of salt, but again, they just have not gotten much push on their offensive line. So what I think Notre Dame is going to do, and Kate, I'll, I'd like your take on this too. Chris Tyree, 5'9", 190 pounds. He's a speed guy. Earlier in the year, they were trying to run him a lot on inside zone and stuff like that, and it just wasn't working very well. And then they started using him more. They'll line him up in the H-back, hand it off to him, coming across like on a type of reverse play, end around. They'll try to get him on the outside, that toss sweep play I talked about earlier. I think it's going to be – I don't think Chris Tyree is going to be running back one. I think Chris Tyree and freshman Logan Diggs, who's six foot, 206 pounds – He's 42 rushes this year, 200 yards, three TDs. I think it's going to be a mix of them two. I think they're going to be running back 1A and 1B because I don't think Tyree can handle a full game workload at running back. Not, not just due to his size, but due to his overall abilities. I don't think that's his specialty. Well, it's interesting that you say that because like I had seen it and it's not a knock on Chris Tyree's size, but he's, he seems to be the faster running back of the two, uh, more game-breaking speed. I mean, he's he's returning kicks. So he's got game-breaking speed. There's a little bit of thunder and lightning there potentially that like you – like the, the tempo changes when one of them's on the field. It's interesting that you think Diggs is going to be the starter um, because I – Well, had, I think they're going to split. They'll split, but you think yeah. Diggs is going to be like – he'll carry the workload, so to speak. I could I I think at the end of the game their carries will be pretty 50-50. Okay. Is, gotcha. is what I'm thinking. Gotcha. Yeah. Well, either way, I think both of them are formidable. You listen to Notre Dame fans, Notre Dame analysts talk about it. Like they're not even worried about Kyron Williams not being in this they're not, game. They're really not. Which is all. strange to me because again, as I've already mentioned, every time you looked up, Kyron Williams was scoring a touchdown. Like you they would break into the Oklahoma State game to show you a Notre Dame highlight, and it was Kyron Williams. So I, I agree. Tyree and Diggs are, are two formidable guys. Talent is off the charts, no doubt about it. But, I mean, you look at it, that's a lot of lost production. And, and to assume that against an Oklahoma State defense that is, has, you know, been in, in top categories, in the top of most categories all year, um, to assume that they don't miss a beat is, is, I don't know, a little bit short-sighted to me. So we'll see. I, I like Tyree. I like Diggs. Um, I just feel like they're going to miss what Williams brought in terms of his versatility, being able to do both. I, I 100% agree with you. I, I think they're kind of downplaying that, the Notre Dame analysts. And obviously, you know, they're probably smarter than me, so I could be completely wrong and dumb. But I think it's a bigger loss than, than some of what I've seen written and some of what I've heard on some of their podcasts. But the only other thing on running backs, Audric Estime, six rushes, 61 yards. He's 5'11", 230 pounds, another freshman. He's gotten some carries later in the season. I could see him getting mixed in. He's kind of a power back which like you said, Tyree's the speedster. Diggs is kind of an all around guy. I, I'm going to put on Twitter a run of his where he 
throws a stiff arm and then later hurdles a dude on the same run. So he's kind of all around athlete. And then Estime is your 230 pound, just power back goal line situation, short down yardage. So he's got a little bit of make you miss ability as well, but I could see him getting a few, a few carries. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see what they do. I mean, you got to think that when with no Williams in there, the offense looks a little bit different because again, you look up. I mean, they were they were using him in the passing game, whether they were throwing him on a wheel route or just throwing him out in the flat. Like they were using him a lot, so I would yeah. expect some sort of tweak to their overall scheme. But again, I I think uh, that Notre Dame has enough talent across the field. Like you probably will notice Kyron Williams not being on the field. But um, yeah, again, I'll, I'll be interested to see what they do, and you know if those, if those full backs or tight ends make much of a difference. So, yeah, hundred percent agree. I, Kate, a few other notes I had on the offense before we kind of get into maybe the key or how Oklahoma State plays them is. One thing that stood out to me, I, I, tell me if you noticed this or, or if not, but when they would line up in the pistol, so the quarterback's in kind of a shorter shotgun behind the center and the running back's directly behind them, they liked to pull linemen out of that. I thought it was kind of weird. It seemed like a tell. Uh, they would do their down G, which is where the play side guard kind of pulls around around the tackle and kicks out to take that end or that first person at the in that overhang spot. They would do the GH, their GH counter. It just seemed like whenever they lined up in the pistol, a lineman was going to be pulled, which I thought was a little, a little odd that someone as dumb as me was able to see that on film. So that that is interesting. I saw it too. And I don't know if it's a tell. I it is interesting though, because you don't see that a whole lot. And in that pistol, like they're they're almost always in shotgun, unless it's fourth and short, third and short. They're almost always in shotgun. So um, again, an interesting offense. That West Coast spread that you already mentioned is is one that we don't see a lot of in the Big Twelve, but um, some definitely like common things in there that 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 we do see just out of a typical spread offense. So yeah, yeah, I, I agree. And I think let me just run through and see if there was any. Oh, they love on they loved to get there isolated which i mentioned earlier they'll do yeah trips that makes me mayor on the other side on third down they're going to mayor or austin pretty much always if it's third and longer than five they really love that running back angle route which we saw baylor using and had some success on oklahoma state where the running back comes out of the backfield looks like he's going outside to the flat and then cuts back in and they'll put like a seam route or something behind that to put that linebacker in conflict conflict so we're going to need some great safety linebacker play in the middle of the field right there. Um, like I said, they don't run outside zone really well, but I think the way they're going to want to attack this Oklahoma State defense is trying to get some misdirection with outside zone and some cutbacks or some counters, reverses, and then hit the play action. They love the play action deep love ball. It. So I – and the, the other thing is these are the – defensive points per drive rankings of the defenses they saw since the Wisconsin game 58 110 100 97 114 111 105 Oklahoma State is third so well, they have not seen a good defense in a, a long time when you scroll down the list of of Notre Dame like it it jumped out at me without having looked at the stats it's like oh they haven't played anybody they really yeah. have not like their schedule, like it got knocked all year for, for good reason. I mean, Notre Dame, I mean, Cincinnati ends up being the best team you play and obviously in the playoff, but they lost that game. 
So not a ton uh, in the latter half of that year for them that, you know, is a good barometer to gauge what Oklahoma State, you know, could potentially do. So I'll be interested to yeah. see. Yeah. And I think I think that was pretty much all I had. They don't do a lot of screens, wide receiver or halfback screens. I know you and I, I think you and I talked about that earlier. And they really, like you said, they don't go under center much. I saw them do it a couple times and do some res- reverses. They love those pre-snap leverage reads where they send somebody, they do some pre-snap motion. They'll send a receiver in motion, kind of see where the DB is lined up, whether it's man or zone, and then they'll throw a quick out route or throw a quick hitch off that. So there's a run play attached that Cone can hand it off if he doesn't like the read. So they'll do a lot of that kind of pre-snap RPOs is what that would be. But other than that, the only other note I have is Kyron Williams is also their punt returner. So they're going to have to do something else in the punt return game. I could see them going really conservative there, pulling a Justin Blackman. Yeah, when he was yeah, just catch the ball. Yeah, so I could see that. That might be – but they've got Matt Salerno and Lorenzo Styles, I think, who will back him up. But, yeah, I, I don't know what they'll do in the, in the punt return game, if they'll still be aggressive because I know Kyron Williams was, or if they'll kind of be more conservative there. Definitely some, some talent on that side of the ball. It's just interesting. Like, I think it all goes back to that offensive line, why they weren't able to do as much. I mean, they they put up points. Their defense scores touchdowns, though. We haven't even talked about their defense yet. I mean, you look at their rushing totals. They only had a 100-yard rusher twice this year, and that was in back-to-back weeks against USC and North Carolina. That, that is crazy to think. And you look at their receptions, they only had a 100-yard receiver four times this year. Yeah. So they are not lighting up the uh, the yardage books, but they do score a lot of points. And again, a part of that, to me, leads into their defense. And, uh, you know, Dustin, I don't want to segue us too quickly. Did you have any other thoughts on the offense? Because I think their defense is, is fascinating. No, I think the only thing is just on the Oklahoma State defense. Gundy has ha- had his uh... – press conference today, his festival press conference, and Tanner McAllister and Jernigan are with the team Oh, will be, will be available to play on Saturday. So that's that's one thing to note. And just overall, we hit on it as we went through kind of the keys of the game for Oklahoma State. I think they need to get pressure. I think they're going to need to do what they've done recently, kind of mix up man and zone. And their defensive backs need to be very physical with these Notre Dame receivers when they are in man or even when they're in zone, when you're in that matchup zone, when they're in zone, get a body on them. Obviously enough to make the holding call or anything like that or pass interference, but I think you just got to be physical. And if the Oklahoma State defensive line can win the battle up front all day, and I expect them to because I just don't think Notre Dame's offensive line is going to be able to hang with this defensive line. I think Oklahoma State can win this football game with their defense, which we've seen them do over and over again this year. I think if you play sound, you get ready for Notre Dame to come out and try to pass the ball to set up their run, try to go with that Baylor-style quick passing game. I think if they're ready for that, I think they can win this game with their defense. I, I love that final word on, on, on the Notre Dame offense because I agree with you. Obviously, there's other things that go into it too. Like You can't, you can't turn the ball over four times and expect to come out of this one on top, but I, I agree with you. I absolutely think Oklahoma State's defense can win them this game if the offense just hangs on. And so I think what we're going to do is we're going to go ahead and take a break and hear from a word from our sponsor, and then we'll get to that. All right, guys, listen up. Sponsor on the podcast, Homefield Apparel, is 
absolutely crushing it. If you haven't checked them out yet, you absolutely need to. I mean, they are leading the charge in premium vintage collegiate apparel right now. Uh, I mean, they are offering vintage college sports t-shirts, sweaters, hoodies with over a hundred schools available. And I mean, they're adding new ones all the time. I'm sitting here looking at their uh, main uh, page right now. I see this vintage University of Connecticut Huskies shirt. I mean, I'm, I lived in Connecticut for a few years. I might need to, to spring for that or or at least put it on my Christmas list, right? I mean, Christmas right around the corner. Um, I mean, if you use our promo code FEELS12, you're going to get 15% off your first order. So with us being right next to the holidays, this is the perfect gift. Uh, home field apparel for the sports fan, for the college sports fan. You got to go check them out and use our promo code FEELS12 to get 15% off your first order. And of course, all orders over $100 get free shipping as always. Promo code FEELS12, 15% off your first order, and all orders over $100 get free shipping at Homefield Apparel. Visit them at homefieldapparel.com. Okay, moving right along into the Notre Dame defense, Oklahoma State offense. This matchup, as important as the, as the previous one that we broke down, but it is also, to me, I think it's even more fascinating because – I think as much as the, the battle up front, as you already mentioned, Dustin, between Oklahoma State's defensive line and, and Notre Dame's offensive line, I th- you, you flip the script, I think it's, it's almost the exact same thing. Um, and as much you know, as I don't want to use a cliche, it feels like this game's going to be won in the trenches, and it's which, which team can protect their quarterback the best. Um, did you see anything in your film review that stands out to that point? Um, and then maybe we move on again into, into what Notre Dame does exceptionally well on defense. Yeah. And Cade, before, before we kind of dive in, Gundy also just said, Danny Godlewski is out. For yeah. The game. Had a feeling that would be the case, right? I, I expect, so Josh Sills has not been practicing is what I've been told, but it's because he's resting. He's still participating in practices and everything. And they expect that he will play. So I think Sills in, Godlewski out, and Warren is a go. There's obviously been pictures, you know, floating around of, I think it was on Pope's report I saw, of Warren practicing. So he's full go practicing. So we'll be without Danny G. I would, personally, I would expect Sills to play based on what I'm hearing. And then Warren is a full go. I I love that. Before we move all the way in, I've got a point to make as well as as we're looking. We do this when a press conference is happening. Things break as we're speaking. Uh, In this exact same press conference, Mike Gundy said he has not named a defensive play caller. So you could have two defensive coordinators. You could have five. You could have zero. Uh, We won't know until Thursday. He said that I told them, told the team that he'd make that decision on Thursday. And he likes the way that they're practicing. So a storyline to watch there. If he did two, you, what you would see probably is like a run game, pass game type thing. Right. So. Yeah, definitely. So getting into the Notre Dame defense, Cade, this was a blast. Yeah. I love Marcus Freeman. He, I went and actually found a podcast. I think the, I think it was called Make Defense, Make Defense is Great Again, the podcast. <laughs> it was Marcus Freeman talking for about an hour and 15 minutes. And a lot of it was, was over my head. He, they got really technical, but he was a fun guy to listen to. He His defense is really fun to watch. And it's kind of cool to see him get away from Luke Fickle at Cincinnati and kind of be his own thing at Notre Dame. And now he's taken over as the head coach, which is awesome. But he was he played Ohio State. He was the G, GA there. Kent State, he did linebackers, Purdue linebackers, and co-DC. 
Then he was at Cincinnati from 2017 to 2020. And then he, Notre Dame for this year. So a lot of my notes are going to be Cincinnati as well because of the only one year of Notre Dame. But again, I was able to get all 22 film on the defense, which is super helpful when you're watching the defense. Notre Dame's defense, 11th in defensive points per drive, 21st in defensive yards per play, and 11th in that F-plus rating I was talking about, which is a combo of FEI and uh, Bill Conley's S&P+. This is going to be one of the best, if not the best, defenses that Oklahoma State has seen this year. And I'm counting Baylor. I'm counting Iowa State. This defense is fast. They are athletic. They base – so what – Freeman has done previously at Cincinnati is he's based out of a three, three, five, but really his defense is multiple. They do a lot of kind of four down look really similar to what Oklahoma state does. So it's the three down linemen with their fourth, their defensive end, they call him Viper V Y P E R, which is kind of cool. So they have everybody's got a name for that, that guy. (laughs) Fuller and I were talking about that, but he'll line up. He'll line up normally in the boundary is what it looks like. That player. They'll do a lot. They've done a lot more four four man fronts later in the year because we'll talk about him. But Isaiah Foskey, amazing player, number seven, that Viper position. He's not as great as a stand up linebacker in coverage. So Notre Dame kind of has to switch up their personnel when they go want to go three down, or they have to kind of do some different things. So they've been a little bit more four man front than I've seen from Freeman at Cincinnati. But their defense, I, I mean, three words or three kind of terms for them aggressive they want to stop the run and they want to contest everything they'll show you a lot of five man boxes so five guys up near the line of scrimmage you think hey we should run the football their overhang players off the edge are so aggressive they they're daring you to run the football and then they're going to attack you from all angles and shut you down so it'll look like you want to run it and but it just it, it won't be their linebackers are extremely extremely active they like to mug them so, or play them up near the line of scrimmage. So that's pretty interesting. They'll do some tight front. So think Iowa State with those defensive ends and the four-eye technique shaded to the inside of each offensive tackle. What's interesting about his defensive front is normally when you see that three-down front, they're kind of taking up two gaps. So kind of what you see in Oklahoma State, like Tyler Lacey's really good at this, kind of grabbing the offensive lineman. Then he sees the running back make their cut. He sheds and grabs them. Notre Dame and Freeman's defense, they slant into gaps pretty frequently. And then they have their linebackers slanting another. So all the gaps are filled, but you kind of never know which angle they're taking. And it it can really throw offenses off. And it kind of it kind of regains control of the line of scrimmage for the defensive line. But you can also exploit that as well as an offensive line. In coverage, a lot of cover one, a lot of cover three. And even when they do cover three zone, it's like a matchup zone. They put a lot on their cornerbacks to play man coverage. And like I said, Freeman loves that three, three, five. They call it their dollar package. It's like a dime package, but their heavy pressure in the Virginia game. They blitz 51% of the dropbacks. I think they've been close to around 25, 30% for the rest of the year, but they they've amped it up and they do a lot of blitzing, a lot of simulated pressure stuff that we've seen for Baylor where you, Looks like two guys are coming off one edge. Then those guys will drop into pass coverage and guys will come off the edge. And then they love their cornerback fire blitz as well. That's kind of all encapsulating scheme. It's really hard. Like I could go, and I know I've already gone too long, but I could go for forever because Freeman does a lot of cool stuff. It's He keeps it kind of simple, I think, for his players, but it's really confusing for an opposing offense. And 
it is so aggressive. I mean, you you said something that I had written down where those linebackers play so tight up by the line of scrimmage and they can drop back into coverage. They and a lot of times it seems like they're they're in man. So they're they're manning up on on the offense, but they are so aggressive and they're playing so tight up to the line of scrimmage that it's difficult if the if they drop back like to find the open receiver quickly. And it's difficult to run if they don't drop back. So it's almost like they have dictated what an offense does based on how they line up all year. And that's the mark of a good defense. You already said that basically, like when they're lined up a specific way, you see that you think I'm going to run the ball here. And they're so good that they're like, that's exactly what we want you to do. And the tape backs it up. I mean, th- those two defensive ends in the run game are fantastic. I mean, and yeah. they're very fundamentally sound. Like they take one step, they're unblocked, and they're crashing on the run game wherever it's going. Well, let's talk about them. Let's talk yeah, about their defensive I, line. I want to know so, more about them. So at strong side defensive end, you've got my, I'm going to call him Myron. I'm going to try to say it. I'm going to say his last name off the pronunciation one time, and then we're going to call him Myron. He's number 95, Myron Tungavailoa Amosa, with the hyphen in between. So we'll call him Myron. He's an NFL guy. (laughs) He's an NFL guy. Like I said, he'll normally be on the field side is what it seems like, or the strong side. 6'2", 268. Last season, he was listed at 280, and he was playing a lot more on the interior. This season, he trimmed down to that 268, and he's primarily playing on the edge. He'll rotate inside on occasion. He's a big juice, energy type of guy, extremely high motor. He'll tackle for loss in the backfield. He's celebrating. He's insanely strong, very scary. Definitely worried about him coming off the edge. At defensive tackle, they've got Jason Adamiola. He's number 57. Oh, basically everyone on their defensive line is an NFL guy. So I'm probably going to say it a lot. He's got good uh, lateral quickness to the line of scrimmage function, another really strong functional strength guy, strong hands. He's actually really athletic for that size. Seems to primarily play that three technique, but he'll come outside in the five technique as well. And like uh, he's six, three, two eighty, And he had four sacks this year at nose guard. Don't think Ika from Baylor. He's a little bit smaller. Kurt Hinnish at number 41. He's 6'1", 300, so he's not your 6'4", 350-pounder. But he has two sacks on the year. He's the guy kind of like maybe an Israel Antwine, who Cade and I always talk about, who's not going to get the accolades, but he's making his impact felt because he is taking up multiple offensive linemen and just causing havoc on the interior of that. And he's going to be a handful for Joe Mahalski. And then at the Viper position, we already mentioned him. He's probably the main man on this defense outside of Kyle Hamilton. Isaiah Foskey, number seven, 6'5", 260, nine sacks, leads the team in sacks, third on the team in tackles, great length, very fast, very explosive. His first step is going to haunt Cole Birmingham's dreams or if he's coming off the right side <laughs> for Preston Wilson, but it's just – it's going to be a lot. These guys are really good. And I'd probably put them up there with Oklahoma state's defensive line. These guys are awesome. And they were good in every game, every game I watched, it was like Foskey was everywhere. I'm you already said it. You said it so much better than I'm going to (laughs) a Demi Lola, Justin, a Demi Lola. It's fantastic. The way it's, it's 
Adamiola on the pronunciation Adam- guide. Oh, you have a pronunciation. That's well, it's on their depth chart, like, okay. like Oklahoma State does. Well, I'm looking at it. I just maybe not didn't look close enough. He's fantastic too. And when those two guys are on opposite sides of each other, it's like nightmare situation for for an opposing offensive line. And uh, you just hope Oklahoma State's tackles come to play. Uh, because as you already said, I mean, Birmingham and Wilson, I mean, they, they could be seeing ghosts by the end of this game because <laughs> those guys are so good and they're so athletic. And it's just the fundamentals uh, of what they do is is off the charts. And so you can tell what Marcus Freeman's done with that group is is very, very impressive. Yeah, it really is. And the other thing, Cade, to point out is they – Unlike some of the team, like, you know, we, we talked about on this podcast when, when Oklahoma State played Bedlam, that OU's defensive line, they really only have those main guys that play all their snaps, and you could wear them down later in the game. Notre Dame rotates guys in. They've got Justin Adamiola, who will come in and be the other Viper, number nine. Howard Cross at nose guard. They've got Nana Asafoamisa at the strong defensive end to back up my guy Myron. And then Riley Mills, number 99, will play defensive tackle. You're going to see all those guys as well. Maybe not for a load of snaps, but you'll definitely see Adam Aola at Viper switching in for Foskey. And like I said, sometimes when they go that three down look, you may see another linebacker come in there for Foskey. So it's going to be really, really interesting. And I'm definitely worried about Oklahoma State being able to establish the run on these guys. And what we talked about there – they're slanting. I think Oklahoma State is going to have to take advantage of that. And I think the way you do that with Jalen Warren is you try to get that outside zone going game going. And I know Casey Dunn's going to go to that. They've done it all year. Like I said, they, they want to dare you to run it to the outside. You know, Marcus Freeman is a spill team. The, the defensive linemen are trying to spill the ball to the outside of those overhang players. But I think Oklahoma State's only hope against this defensive line, and not only hope not to say it negatively, I think they can do it is to get to the outside and for Jalen Warren to use his incredible vision to find some cutback lanes. Spot on. They, they slant so much, and it's it was a storyline that I had written down. Hadn't planned to bring it up yet, but like if, if Warren is in there, that's a huge deal, especially the way Notre Dame plays. But if he's not, they're, they're going to have issues because as, as much positive things as we've seen from Dominic Richardson, Des Jackson, I think, is also going to play the bowl game and then go. Um, those two guys haven't shown the ability and the vision to see that cutback lane and hit it as quickly as Jalen Warren does. So, you know, Hurdy's going to be healthy. That's great. Um, but if he's there, that's fantastic news because just the way Notre Dame tries to attack you with that defensive line, they do slant. You can see it on film, even, even in, you know, most down scenarios, that's what they're trying to do, whether it's run or pass, they're, they're going to slant on you. So. Yeah, I completely agree. So we talked about that outside zone and getting the outside and looking for cutback lanes. Well, let's move to the linebackers because I'm going to tell you about the guy who's going to try to stop that and he may be able to. Number 27, J.D. Bertrand. He plays their will or their weak side linebacker. 93 total tackles, Cade. The next closest guy on the team is Mike linebacker Drew White with 49. Almost double everybody else on the team. Came in this year and it sounded like he wasn't really – one of the guys on the defense, but he has shown that struggles a little bit at times in pass coverage. They actually do some really interesting stuff with him. I'll, I'll put a couple clips out on Twitter later this week, but he'll be lined up. Like we talked about close to the line of scrimmage. 
and run all the way back to the deep yep. third off the snap deep into the zone. So you think you may have that middle of the field open and Bertrand's there kind of taking that away. So he's very athletic, very fast. He's an amazing tackler. I, I think Malcolm Rodriguez when I watched him play. Ooh, I like that. He, he is very athletic and he jumps off the screen. Like I had 27, seven, nine, like I had numbers written down as guys that just seem like high impact players. And I mean, he's, he's good. Bertrand is good. Yeah. And I love the Rodriguez comparison because they do let him run sideline to sideline. Uh, and, yeah. and, and he's good at it. He's, he's fantastic. Yeah. Their man in the middle. I just mentioned him, Drew White. He plays their mic, their middle linebacker, number 40. Talk about struggling coverage. That's probably White's biggest weakness. He's he's not great in pass coverage, but he's your typical old school middle linebacker, just kind of clogging up the middle. And they like to blitz him, and he gets after the quarterback. And he's another sure tackler. He's had all these guys that maybe early in the season had a little bit of tackling issues, but they've shored all that up. And Drew White in the middle of the field is a force. I think he's kind of second fiddle to Bertrand, but he's a solid player there at their Rover positions. We'll either see Jack Kaiser, number 24 or Isaiah Pryor, number 10. And then backups, you've got Prince Collie. And then at Mike, uh, Bo Bauer, number 52, you actually, he plays a lot as well. So you'll see him in there with Bertrand for white sometimes. So love it. I have a question for you because I know we're going to get to the secondary here in a little bit, but I want to, knowing what you know about this Notre Dame front seven, I mean, it's, it's a fantastic unit. How do you expect Oklahoma state to try to find success? You know, the offensive line has been good at times. It's also been bad at times. Um, running game has been there. Running game has not been there. It depends on the day, depends on the matchup. What do you expect that Oklahoma State does to try to offset some of these things that, that Notre Dame does so well defensively, in specifically in the front seven? Like taking I, I what think they what can we, do and wreak havoc into account. I think what we talked about, I think you've got to establish the run game early. And I think the only way to do that for Oklahoma State, because we haven't seen them do a lot of a lot of counter, a lot of power this year, a lot of those misdirection runs, is to get that outside and wide zone going and use your – probably best player on offense in Jalen Warren, let him use his vision. You've got to try to get them moving this Notre Dame defense moving and they have speed, but if you can get them to over pursue and find some cutback lanes, I think that's how you have to attack them in the running game. And then Kate, the big, big thing is this Notre Dame defense has struggled with mobile quarterbacks. Big runs from the quarterback, either scramble or design. Sam Howell at North Carolina rushed for over 100 yards. And that was a game where Notre Dame was without Kyle Hamilton, which we'll get to in a little bit, Kyle Hamilton. But I think Spencer Sanders needs – if Spencer Sanders doesn't finish this game with over I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put it at 60. I think I've said 50 earlier in the season. I'm going to say 60 yards net of sacks rushing. I don't think the Oklahoma State offense is going to score enough points to win. It's got to be a heavy dose of kind of creating runs on the perimeter and creating misdirection. But the way Oklahoma State does that is through their quarterback run game because they don't add in, like I said, a lot of these counters and things that we talked about Notre Dame does. So I think that's how you have to attack them. I, I, I love that. I agree. Um, the, the reason I ask is it's just like before you even get to their secondary, like which is, which is chock full of great players as well, like – you got to figure out how to run the football. And I love the fact that Spencer's out there. 
he's been a difference maker all year with his legs. And, and if they don't have him, it's, it's almost as detrimental as Jalen Warren not being out there. Like if he can't run the ball, if he can't be as effective running the ball, it's detrimental to the success of the offense. So I'm excited and, to see what they're able to do. I know that's what they're going to try to do, but what are they able to do? Yeah. And I agree with you. And I, I think also, I think we see a heavy dose again of split zone because I think Cassidy and Carter are going to be back. Yeah, and that's another like way it. Oklahoma state can, um, can create misdirection. So no, well, love that you hit Cade on the DBs. Again, you're just, you're killing the segues right now. And you don't even have my notes. <laughs> I don't, I don't. You're just very smart. So DBs, I know we wanted to get to them. We've got Cam Hart. He plays there. It seemed like he's playing field. It looked like when they go against tempo teams, which is the wide side of the field, they stay left to right. Cause it's kind of hard for the cornerbacks to run back and forth. But when they're going against slower teams, it seems like they have him to the wide side of the field. So Cam Hart at cornerback. Clarence Lewis would be the boundary then at the other cornerback spot. Looks like they're going to start Houston Griffith at that strong safety spot. And then DJ Brown will be the free safety with backups. Ramon Henderson, KJ Wallace, Isaiah Pryor, who I talked about at the Rover spot, Tariq Bracey and Xavier Watts. The key guy here without Hamilton is Cam Hart. He's a solid, solid cornerback. He wears yep. number five. I think you try to throw at Clarence Lewis. I think, in the passing game, I think what Oklahoma State is going to try to do, set it up with the run, hit some quick short stuff, and then they're going to take some deep play action shots down the field, and I think they target Clarence Lewis. He's not bad, but that's who you target because he has a tendency to get beat and to get a little too handsy, and he's gotten quite a few defensive pass interference calls, I believe, this year. Uh, it's great. One of the notes I had written down, you know, Kyle Hamilton not being out there is is such a blow to them because with him and Cam Hart out there, it's like that is that is a dangerous combination defensively. Like it's a game-breaking combination, and, and they've done that all year. So him not being out there hurts in the run game, but it also hurts in the pass game because now you could potentially get a Clarence Lewis in situations that he's not comfortable with. I think Cam Hart, you know, he's one that I had circled because his height alone, he's six, two and a half. Like he is a, a physical specimen. Like he's going to get drafted. Like he's big guy, big cornerback. So I'm going to be interested to see what a Tay Martin can do against him or what, I mean, who you think Tay Martin is and Cam Hart, that's the matchup. And then a Jaden Bray on the other side against Lewis. Yeah, and I think it's Jaden Bray that they'll probably take the shots at. But I do think Martin will be able to get some stuff going, especially, you know, he's so good at those comeback routes. We talked about him being one of the best outside receiving route runners Oklahoma State has had. So I, I do think Martin can get, get stuff going against Cam Hart, but I think Lewis is the guy you try to attack. And honestly, Cade, we were talking about how we've heard some of the Notre Dame guys downplaying the Kyron Williams being out. I think – the Kyle Hamilton one maybe is a little the one that should be downplayed a little bit because oh, yeah. and the only reason I say that is because he's only played in six games this year really yeah he has not played since let me pull it up I had it up and then it went away but I don't believe he's played and this is Sorry, take me just no, a second. Yeah. No, you're, you're blowing my freaking mind here. <laughs> yeah, so he played in one, two, three, four, five, six, seven games, but he hasn't played since USC on October 23rd. Huh. 
which is interesting because you look at their stats late in the year, like they were, they were not giving up points to anybody late in the year. I mean, single digits and shutouts is, is what they were pitching and that's without him. So that's a good point. He just, it, it was kind of the way I felt about Kyron Williams. It was Kyle Hamilton and Kyron Williams. Like those were the big play game breaking highlight play yeah. players. And they're on in that those team. games. They're in those games that we kind of keyed on the Purdue, right, right. The Cincinnati, those, and they're making all of Notre big Dame's plays. good. Yeah. And all of Notre Dame's good games were early in the season. Those are probably the three best teams they played. That's a good point. And Hamilton is making, like I said, he is a game changer, but I think, the only reason I say that is because I think Notre Dame has been able to kind of form their own identity without him now on their defense. And he's a big loss, but it's a little bit different than Williams who literally was just playing was the only reason I say that. Yeah, no, it's a great, it's a great point. I mean, you've, you've kind of given me the warm and fuzzies on, on the ability of the wide receivers to create separation. It just comes back to the, this, main theme that we've kind of been hitting on is can you protect Spencer Sanders long enough for him to make the right read and get the ball to him? I mean, we we've seen good Spencer. We've seen really, really bad Spencer. So he's going to need to be closer to good Spencer. I think to, to have any shot in this one personally. Yeah, that's a, a great point. And I'm really worried, you know, we kind of talked about it earlier, but Notre Dame, they'll show single high. They'll roll at the snap to too high. They'll show, three deep safeties and then roll them all down right before the snap. Like I talked about those pressures they bring from different angles. They don't bring a lot. They normally bring five, sometimes six. So it's not like a ton of people coming at you, but they're coming from all over the place. Like I talked about Drew White coming in there, blitzing. They'll even show some two, four, five looks. I think it's going to be similar to a Baylor kind of disguise and confusion, which makes me a little bit worried because we've seen how Spencer has played against them, but he's pl- but Iowa state does things like that. And he played, you know, he's had good games against teams like that. So we'll see. I'm a little worried about some of the ways they drop Bertrand and drop uh, Roman Henderson back deep when they're not in those positions to start. It's very confusing. It looks like you have something downfield and then you don't, but I think what if Oklahoma state can get the run game going early kind of get the quick passing game going and get Spencer Sanders going in the run game. I think they'll have the opportunity to get some one-on-one matchups yeah. downfield against Lewis. And even against hard, if you want to try it on Tay, if he's on Tay Martin. And I think if, if they can do that, they, they will win this game. If they can get the run game going, I think they will win this game. I, I love that breakdown. It's just, it's the biggest if in this game. And so I think it's a perfect segue, Dustin. I mean, like, Everything we've talked about. Any before we get there, hold on. I know I've been on fire with the segues. I don't want to cut you off. Do you have no. any other notes on on the defense? On no, I'm defense? good. I, I could go all day on Marcus Freeman's defense, and my knowledge of it is in my brain size is so small, and that's how. <laughs> so just just that that just tells you how awesome it was just to watch him, and I think he's going to be a great coach. Well, what's what's going to be interesting is to see how Notre Dame responds to him being the guy. Like here's. Yes. A fun storyline. Calling the plays, Cade. Also, I don't. I don't know if you saw that. Mike Elston is okay. going to be calling them. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, he's been calling them in practice though, and then he also called the Notre Dame defense when Brian Van Gorder was fired, and he's the run game coordinator right now. So he's very involved in the game planning. So I don't think it's going to be a huge drop off from him. But like you said, I mean, you're going from Marcus Freeman having complete control of this defense to not 
not well, anymore, more of a CEO role. Well, you saw that viral video when he got named head coach. Like this, this bowl game for a New Year's Six game in, in an era where you know players are transferring, going to the draft at, at an unbelievable rate. Like this game has not seen as many uh, transfers, has not seen as many players dropping out. Just you, this game seems to be one that the the moment matters a little bit more you know, just to the programs and not right, wrong, or indifferent for whatever reason that may be. But I will be very interested to see kind of the juice that Notre Dame has coming out because I think they're going to be excited to be playing for, for Marcus Freeman. That's just the way I see it. And it kind of factors into the way I see this game going. Um, Dustin, you already said if Oklahoma State can run the football, they will win this game. So I'll ask you, do you think they will run the football well? I do. And, and Kate, if you're, if you're trying to get me to give a score prediction, I'm ready. Let's go. Let's do okay. it. I'm a, and I know I feel like I always end up going first. So if I steal yours again, I'm sorry. We never talk about this beforehand. So um, we're not, we're not copying off each other. No, we, we never do. <laughs> so it's got Notre Dame, Notre Dame. I'm seeing it at minus two and a half and the over under line at 45 and a half. I'm going to take Oklahoma state 24, 21. So I'll so Notre Dame won't be covering that. And I'll be right under that 45 and a half line. So I, I love that. I love the idea that Oklahoma state scores 24 in this game. I can see it. Totally can see it. I, I think maybe my, my vision is clouded from what we saw in the last game against Baylor. Um, but I, I'm going to take Notre Dame 24, Oklahoma state 13. And the okay. reason I, I do think Oklahoma State is able to run the ball, but they show such confusing looks defensively. You know, sometimes it looks like they're in straight man and they drop back into zone. You kind of alluded to that earlier. It's like it's a weird defense and they're very fundamentally sound. So they're always in the right place. There's very few moments where the, the, a play breaks down. So does Spencer Sanders, you know, do his legs create those? Maybe so. But do they? Does it create enough of them? I I don't think so, and I don't yeah. know if he can hold on to the ball enough against a defense like this to, to to win this game. I I liked the matchup on paper until I started watching the film, and I'm like, they look a lot like Baylor, but maybe even bigger. You know? Yeah. Like that's kind of how I see them. Yeah, and and we haven't even touched on it that much, but not having Jim Knowles is a factor as well. Yeah. We talked about his in-game adjustments all season. And I know he's not with the position groups and I know, you know, the game planning is obviously a whole defensive coaching unit, but his in-game adjustments, his ability to see from that press box and make calls and relay them back down to the field, that's going to be missed. And I, I honestly really, I, I was, I've been struggling pretty much all day, whether I'm going to pick Notre Dame or Oklahoma state and, I'm going to go with Oklahoma State, and I'm glad I did now since you're picking Notre Dame. Since we're well, not, I, so we're I love not, that but... you are because yeah. if you if you didn't know this, neither of us have ever picked against Oklahoma State. Did you know that? Yeah, not since yeah, we not started this podcast, podcast. Yeah, which is astounding. One, like I don't want anybody to think I'm being. We used negative. to pick against them all the time. Oh, yeah, yeah. We ever picked them? I know, right? Um, but I just. Um, I don't know, man. I, I can totally see an, an avenue where they win, cap off a great year with it, with an exclamation point, put their stamp on it. But 
I, I feel like Notre Dame's going to care a little bit. Like they're going to actually be, be ready to go. And I think they're just a little bit better football team. So again, that's not a knock on Oklahoma state. I don't, I know I'll catch a little bit of flack for that, but you know, just, just, you know, respect due to a veteran team with a veteran quarterback who doesn't turn the ball over and a sound defense. Like I just think turnovers might be the difference. Yeah, no, I agree. Well, on that note, Dustin, this, um, this season, it's hard to believe that it's already like coming down to the wire like this. Yeah. It's it, crazy. It's, it's wild. But uh, at some point we're going to have to talk basketball, right? Yeah. Next week is not that week though. Right. With obviously the news breaking before the, uh, this podcast, uh, we recorded that Oklahoma state's game against tech not happening um, until January 13th. And so while they were all right, already on an extended hiatus, um, I mean, I think this thing is going to go on for over two weeks. Is that, is that right? Dustin or is it right at two weeks? I think it is. Since yeah, the last so, time they played. Yeah, I think it will be because their next game is Tuesday, January 4th at Kansas. So we'll probably record next Wednesday so we can talk about that game. So we don't go multiple podcasts with no basketball, but yeah, it's just, it's just wild. It's, it's gotta be tough for those guys. And now you got a pretty big gauntlet coming up. I think they're going to be, well, they, yeah, they'll be at West Virginia at <laughs> Texas tech at Baylor. And that's January 11th, 13th and 15th. Yeah. That's Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, for those of us at home, like that's a problem. Yeah. That's it's just, it's, it was already a tough stretch. We talked about, you know, Ken Palm doesn't have him winning a game until Wednesday, January 19th at TCU. And going in that stretch, I, I just think it's it's going to be tough. That We talked about West Virginia probably being a win, but kind of smushed between all of that. It's going to be really tough coming off right after Texas, right after KU. So we'll see, but we'll definitely hit on the we'll definitely hit on the Kansas game next week and talk about that a little more. Yeah, I think uh, I think I'll actually be at that one. So first oh, nice. first basketball game I'll be at in uh, this season. So I'm pumped for that. But yeah, man, it's uh, it's crazy. Like we're, we're seeing all over the place games get canceled. Like we didn't even talk about this, but there's a chance you and I recorded this podcast and the Fiesta Bowl doesn't happen. Like, yeah. And, and yeah. we just imagined what would have been. And now my family <laughs> hates me for watching so much Notre Dame film and not hanging out with them. And yeah. it would be for no, no right. Reason. You ruined Christmas. Me, you yeah. ruined Christmas. You didn't hang out with the family. You studied and watched films. So yeah, I, that, that's a possibility. <laughs> like, I don't think it's going to happen. It seems like both teams are healthy, but as this thing, I mean, it cha it's changing by, I mean, the hour, like uh, the NFL has got 400 guys this month alone that have been put on the COVID list, which, which is just shattering records. So it's concerning. And uh, yeah, you know, I, I hope the game gets played. I hope everybody stays healthy, but it's definitely something to keep an eye on over the next couple of days. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Do you want me to hit the Twitter questions before we, yeah, let's, about? let's do it. Let's go ahead and do it. Awesome. Okay. So we've got, they're kind of all over the place, some football, some basketball. So we'll just run through them in the order that I put them in because I'll get confused if we do it a different way. So we've got Kyle C. He's at the OK State fan 05. He says Sanders has two years left. I honestly could see him playing both years. I think Shane transfers, then Wrangle takes over. What do you think there, Kate? I I, I think or sorry, that was that was kind of my more response to his question. I let me grab his question really quick. Sorry about that. <laughs> no, no, you're right. I didn't write his down. So he said, what is the QB situation over the next two years? Does Shane stick around? Does Garrett not see the field for two or three years? So 
my, my take on that was Sanders has two years left. I can honestly see him playing both years. I think Shane transfers and then Rangel takes over after Sanders. That's kind of my take. I, I agree with you. And it's for the reasons you and I've kind of talked about this, like over the last several weeks, like Shane's inability to move uh, in the pocket really much at all. Like, and even extend plays with his feet is, is what I believe is going to hold them back. Like football, college football specifically has moved to this, this, you know, um, situation where quarterbacks have to be mobile. They really have to be. You do not see, I mean, even Jack Cohn, like he's, he's more mobile than, than a Shane Illingworth, uh, but he's even probably mm-hmm. on the, other, like the other end of the spectrum compared to most quarterbacks. Like they all kind of look like a Blake Shapin and a Spencer Sanders. They all can use their legs. And so that's why I agree with you, Dustin. Um, I, I don't want Shane Illingworth to transfer whatsoever. Like uh, he, the fact that he hasn't already is, is a testament enough to like his character, but I just don't, I don't see how he becomes the guy unless he can somehow get a whole lot faster. Like no, and that doesn't I, typically I, happen. So. No, I completely agree. And I honestly don't really have anything to add because you summed it up perfectly. Yeah, no, no, I'm with you. Um, next we have, so Nathan McKenzie, he asked us two wrestling questions. They were a little bit. And <laughs> above, I, I'm not sure if you above saw our them. pay grade. <laughs> yeah. They were a little bit above my head and Kate and I, you know, our buddy Lee Cothran, We've been watching wrestling. I've been trying to tweet out some videos whenever uh, I can when it's on ESPN Plus or when I'm able to watch. But I don't think we'd be the best to answer these. Lee might be able to hit them in a future episode. But we appreciate, Nathan, the questions. And I'm sorry. I just I would I would be misinformed if I tried to answer those. Yeah, you, you got to go check out the Dynasty Defined pod because he's doing a better job than us. We have been watching. <laughs> like, I've, I've been trying to watch as much wrestling, which, by the way, the, the, lack, the lack of um, – television or streaming in, of any kind that's not flow sports is outrageous like like throw it on espn plus that's why we have espn plus like i yeah. i i like that flow exists but it frankly it barely exists like it's it's yeah. hard to watch so no i can i completely agree so then we've got two more we'll do ryan ostranders first ryan appreciate it you ask a lot of questions on the pod we always love them they're always yeah absolutely. they're always they're always interesting and funny so at Ryan Ostrander eight says you're running full court fives at the Colvin. What four football players would you take and why? So Cade, I have mine written down. If you want to go first, you can, but I have mine. If you need to think for a second, no, go for it. I want to hear it. Okay. So I'm solely going off of, I have no idea if, if these guys are good at basketball, I'm going to use their football skills to take. And I wanted to do two from the offense, two from the defense. So like and, and we stuck to this. We clarified it with him on Twitter. He was thinking this year's team, so not all time. So I'm going to go myself, who is tries my best, but I'm not very good at basketball. I, <laughs> you can ask my little brother. I play on his rec league team on Sunday nights, and I'm not. I'm one of the worst players on the team, but I try. So me, who sucks. Then we've got Christian Holmes. Reason why I picked him: one, he's jacked, so it's always helpful to have a jack on your team. Yeah. Two, he's a great man defender. We've seen it. He's a physical man defender. That'll translate to the basketball court. No We're doubt about it. Man and pickup. We're not going to be playing zone. <laughs> He'll be playing man. He'll be manned up on somebody. Next, uh, so my other defensive player, I'm going Malcolm Rodriguez, leader, super athlete. You know, he's a wrestler, played quarterback in high school, plays linebacker all over the field all the time. I don't care if he's good on offense. He's going to be awesome on defense. My team is going to be really good at defense. 
So also Malcolm can take over the leadership spot because I'm not going to take that. I'm going to be the worst guy five. So, and then I've got for the offensive side, I've got Caleb Etienne solely because he's the tallest player on the team. Six, seven, we'll put him down low. And then I've got Jaden Bray. And the reason why I chose Bray is because he's a great blocker in space. We need somebody to set screens. And then also we've seen him get up for those contested catches. I'm hundred percent positive he can dunk. So we need to throw him some alley-oops. So I, I don't know if I have any shooters. Maybe Etienne is a stretch big man and he can step outside, but that's hey, my that's my four. Well, Jaden Bray's number one on my list. He was a basketball player and a really good one, like right yeah. up until his junior year when he when he chose football. So like that alone puts him on my list. I love yes, yours. I, Bray is I, – I did forget about that, that Bray was really good at basketball. I literally tried to not use my – like close my brain off from the recruiting and – not go with any actual basketball players. I solely wanted to take them from football. I love it. I love it. I love how you went offense defense. I'm going to go more like a philosophy here. Like we, we know the term positionless basketball. I am going basically all defense on, on, <laughs> on this one, because I love how at times Oklahoma state's defense in the, in football can be, you know, quote unquote positionless at times with how much guys move around. So all four, my, okay, I'm sorry. Jaden Bray's on my list, so it's it's three. I'm going to put Brock Martin out there. I'm going to put him it. in the Mark Vidal role, you know, the, the glue <laughs> guy, the camera griff guy. Go go get a rebound and, and push the break. I'm going to go with Colin Oliver, just pure electricity. I feel like you could throw him lobs all over the place, and, and he's, he's your guy. You said Christian Holmes already, didn't you? Yes. Okay. I'm going to go Tanner McAllister, uh, okay. you know, even though he's, he's headed out elsewhere, potentially uh, I like his length and his versatility defensively uh, to create fast break opportunities. So those are the four that I'd take one on offense, three on defense. I love it. I think so. If I, I guess if I have to sub somebody because you are, you have Bray, I'll take Tay Martin kind of same thing jump balls and he's probably the second best blocking receiver well so. and if i gotta do that too i mean at this point you gotta you gotta take a tall guy right like that's that's what we're doing i mean you could potentially be looking at like a um like a jonathan shepherd we don't know much yeah. about him football wise but we know he's tall so yes you gotta have that's all with Etienne. i'm gonna be passing pass it to him in the i love it i love it my team may be a little bit undersized against yours but like what we lack in in uh size we make up for in versatility like you're gonna have a problem with Etienne and, and brock martin like in transition so like we're yes. we're gonna get out and run on your team that's kind of i'll guard i'll guard brock yeah <laughs> and get destroyed i love that question ryan thanks so much and then We've got our last one, Cade, from our guy, Brian Metcalf, at Brian J. Metcalf. Brian, appreciate it as always. He's got two questions here. One's football, one's basketball. I think the first one we can hit kind of quick because I think, Cade, you and I might have a similar answer. He said, outside of defensive coordinator and linebacker coach, does Gundy make any other coaching changes? And he says he's thinking no. I'm going to agree with him. I, th I think no. We talk Gundy preaches continuity, his coaching staff all the time. I think unless someone were to leave, He's not going to fire somebody and replace anybody. You were you were a foot away from the college football playoffs. So no, I do not see any forced coaching changes. Yes, I agree. And then he said, this one, Brian, actually, I'm not thanking you for it because this one was yeah. what is the best start? What is the best <laughs> starting lineup we've seen so far in basketball going off plus minus? 
So Kate and I actually did some work on this, Brian. So if you want to send us yeah, thank something. you card I think you or can some tip, money. I think you can tip us on Twitter now. <laughs> <laughs> so what we both, Kate and I both did this separately. We came up with the same answer. Kate, do you want me to just to kind of go through it? I have it pulled up on my screen. Yeah, no, that's perfectly fine. I'd have to pull it up. So Okay. So what we did is we went off box plus minus, which is the definition of that is a box score estimate of the points per 100 possessions a player contributed above above a league average player translated to an average team so that's your box plus minus what we did is we sorted we took out anybody that played less than 60 minutes in the on the season and then we sorted just by top without looking at games started and what we got out of that was Caleb Boone Bryce Williams Keelan Boone Tyreek Smith and Woody Newton which it's also interesting because those guys also are five of the six highest PERs on the team, which is the player efficiency rating. CSA was the only one who would make it in that list. And then also your win shares per 40 minutes, which is an estimate of the number of wins contributed by a player per 40 minutes. All five of those guys also are the top on that as well. Very interesting. Cade, what are your thoughts on that before I talk about, I, I ended up actually separating it by starters as well. I think the one that stands out is Woody Newton. Um, he's only 61 minutes played. I know, but he's been interesting. Like we kind of, he was kind of a zone breaker at one point, wasn't he? Like, mm-hmm. so I, I have kind of wondered why he's not playing more. I mean, in, in man, it's, it's tough to see how he can stay out there, especially when you consider the length and versatility, like he's, he's kind of a common guy on this roster, but he can actually shoot. The one thing that I kind of told you that was enlightening and maybe a little concerning is how low Avery Anderson is on that list. You know, his usage is probably number one on the team, if not number two. So you would expect and hope, you know, that his is higher. But again, I, yeah, he's number two in usage. I get why that's, that's the case, um, you know, on a, on a seven and four team that hasn't won very many games and has lost, you know, some, some big ones. So. No, that's a, that's a great point. And Avery, has to step that up and just kind of be more of an all-around contributor we talked about it kind of with assist and kind of lowering the turnovers yeah and keeping the scoring high it's a little unfair like because they're playing a ton of close games win or loss and so he's out there all the time so it's a little bit unfair to be like he's low on plus minus that's that's a huge deal but like it is like you, you would like your your guy to be higher like is he again he's yeah. he's dominating the ball so well, and you made a great point. It's it's kind of it's kind of not the result of the game drives it basically. Yeah, like, it's not whether he played well or not to focus on plus minus. I do like the box plus minus, but just overall plus minus is not the all telling stat, right, kind right, of like right, you're right. saying. But I did think it was interesting just to kind of go back to Brian's actual question where he's talking about starting lineup. So starters wise, that changes a little bit because Keelan. Tyreek and Woody have not started any games. So if you take just starters, box plus minus the highest, it would be Caleb Boone, Bruce Williams, Donovan Williams, Avery Anderson, and Ice. So the guys left off there, Musa Cisse, Rondell Walker, Matthew Alexander, Moncrief, and Bryce Thompson. So that's pretty interesting because I actually could see that lineup. You know, I think they have started that lineup. Caleb be, Bryce, Donovan, Avery, Ice, or something similar I think that to that. Caleb Bryce, Donovan, Avery, and Ice. They absolutely yeah. have started that lineup. So, and then, Kate, I even took it a step further because I'm a freak. I looked <laughs> at, 
So what I did is I took the top, uh, I, I made the cutoff mark. Ken Palm has his rankings of all the teams. I cut it off at 152, which was Cleveland State's ranking. So I looked at all the teams that Oklahoma State has played that have been ranked 152 or better in the starting lineups for those games. So we've seen Avery, Donovan, Ice, Bryce, and Caleb, which I think is the one we just talked about, right? Correct. Yeah. Yeah. So we've seen that twice in that span. It was against Houston and Cleveland State. And those two games combined, they're a plus 21. So minus 14 against Houston and a plus 35 against Cleveland State. This is just, uh, this is real plus minus from the stats broadcast. So a little bit different, I think, than what we were looking at. So then we've seen Avery, Bryce Thompson, Matthew Alexander Moncrief, Ice, and Musa Cisse twice. That was against Wichita State and NC State. That's a combined positive five plus minus, so a plus five, seven, plus 17 against Wichita State and a minus 12 against NC State. And then you've got Oakland. We saw Avery, Bryce, Rondell, IC say they were a plus seven. And then against Xavier, Avery, Bryce, Rondell, Ice, and Musa Cisse were a minus 28. So it's weird Oof. too because like, the NC State game is a victory, but those guys were minus 12. The Wichita State game, a loss. Those guys are plus 17. Yeah. It's a little all over the place and kind of a great question by Brian because, because those teams are so different. You know, I tried to keep it within 152, but it's been kind of all over the place because Houston, I think, is like number four on Ken Palm. But I don't know. It's I don't know who I would pick as the lineup right now. I think there's still I think we still need some more data. I because, I don't you know Bryce Cisse's been out. Not sorry to cut you off, Kate, but Bryce Williams wasn't starting at all. So it's just been all over the place. I don't envy Mike Boynton's position at, at this current moment because I'll say this: not one has really shown a um, ability to go go grab a starting spot like. There, there's going to be, just as we've seen with Mike Boynton's teams over the last five years, like there's going to be platoon lineup changes. So it's it's really going to come down to who has the most minutes. And I think we're getting somewhere with this Caleb, Bryce, Avery, um, you know, combo. Like Bryce Thompson, though, I think coming off of injury, like I think he's going to be one that is a huge factor. Going Like he's he might be the difference between like four conference wins and eight. You know what I mean? Because yeah. of his ability to shoot like s- strictly that, because at this point they don't really have any. So like if Donovan Williams can become that guy, then great. Um, somebody's just going to have to do that because right now it, it seems like it is all over the place and, and they don't really have one go-to guy. No, I think that's a great point. And Brian, thanks again for the, thanks again for the question. Appreciate it. Yeah. And thanks. Thanks to everybody. We didn't have any listener questions this week, which is, which is all right, but also not all right, because (laughs) you know, you can do that at any given moment when you go to our Twitter page, which by the way, is 53 followers from a thousand, if you can believe it or not. So if you like the podcast, like tell your friends, like we want to answer listener questions and we also want to get to a thousand followers on Twitter. it's almost like having a guest on the podcast. It really is. Like if you want to be our guest on the podcast, like send in your questions and, and we'll make you our guest. So, <laughs> well, Dustin, this has been fun, man. I mean, any lingering final thoughts before we get out of here? 
I think the only other thing, and, and you and I probably don't haven't gone in depth on it enough to hit on it, but just kind of wanted to mention uh, collegiate baseball, their preseason poll came out there. They've been doing polls for college baseball for like 40 plus years. I believe they have Oklahoma state at number seven. That's pretty salty. And we're, we're for sure. I don't know if you guys are going to want to hear it. So we may not talk about it a lot, but I know Kate and I are going to watch baseball. I, I tried I'll to make it up to several games last year, and I'm going to do the same this year. So I will we will definitely there. mention baseball on here. And I was clipping baseball from my personal Twitter last year, and I will definitely be doing that again. I I need to go because baseball rosters can change. Like the like transferring is just as common. Like so, I want to go back and review who's here, who's graduated, who's incoming. I know they've got a couple of impact transfers, but I would uh, I would sound like an idiot if I tried to break it down. Like clearly, they've <laughs> brought brought guys in to to be seven number seven preseason. Like that's a big deal. Uh, and in the yeah, stadium saw, like that, it's gonna be rocking. They literally had I think Brock Mathis, their catcher. Yeah, he, he transferred, transferred in from LSU, I believe. I think he just transferred to Florida State like Florida two State. days ago or yeah, something. So he absolutely did. So yeah. it'll be interesting to see what what that lineup looks like. But uh, yeah, a a full Obrate Stadium this year is going to be a lot of fun. I can't wait for yeah. that. So we'll definitely be at some of those. But you bet. Yeah, that, I, I don't have anything else, Cade. I I don't either. This was fun, and uh, I can't believe it's already our last podcast of of 2021 so it's crazy how much time has flown since we started this it was it's already episode 14 of the pod so like next week we're going to be like moving into season two of this thing this podcast is going to look a whole lot different uh here next week we're breaking down basketball recruiting news um i mean and and really talking like some off-season football stuff but this podcast is going to look a lot different and your involvement in it is going to help us a lot um you know it'd be great like what do you want to see out of the podcast in 2022 dustin and i have have a list of improvements features even uh that i don't want to talk about too much but things that are going to change that are coming and uh, i think you all will be really excited about but if there's something you want us to be thinking about I love ideas and I I'm not, uh, you know, so egotistical to think that you don't have a great one. So if you're listening, you're like, okay, Dustin, this would be awesome. Send it our way. I can't guarantee it makes it, but would at least love to hear your voice on that. So, um, anyway, Dustin, what a year it's been, uh, again, a Merry Christmas and a happy new year to you. And, um, any final thoughts before we wrap up? No, I'm good. You, you, okay. like you said, any listener, any listener feedback or anything like that's greatly appreciated. And, and, a, okay, and thanks a, as always for having me on. No, I shoot, dude, you, you make this podcast as, as fun as it is. And uh, <laughs> your, your expertise goes a long way in covering up some of my lack of expertise in, in other areas. So I love doing this with you and uh, it's been fun to just reconnect and get to do this every week. So I, I'm enjoying it, but um, yeah, well, let's go ahead and get out of here. Um, give us a follow at feels like 45 pod on Twitter. You can follow Dustin at dust ragu. You can follow me on Twitter at Cade web. And while we're talking about it, like as much as we appreciate feedback, give us a, a review on Apple. Let us know how we're doing as long as it's a five star. And with that, <laughs> we leave you go pokes beat Notre Dame. And we'll see you back here next week. Go pokes. All right, guys, listen up. Our partners at Symbol, who you already know, have a brand new offering, and we're pumped about it. But before we get to that, here's a quick reminder of what you already know. Symbol is a stock market for sports that allows you to profit off of your sports knowledge. And on Symbol, you can trade sports like stocks, and every time your team wins, you earn cash. Use your sports knowledge on Symbol to buy low, 
sell high, and earn cash payouts when your team wins. Join the over 8,000 early adopters who have started to invest in their favorite teams and visit www.simbull.com to create a free account. And when you deposit, make sure you use our promo code FEELS12 for a money back guarantee. Hold on just a second. Money back guarantee. You heard it right. Symbol, our partner, is offering a money back guarantee to all of the listeners of this show. That money back guarantee means even if you lose money in the first 90 days, Symbol will refund your initial deposit with no questions asked. I don't know anybody doing something like that right now. So visit www.symbol.com and again, use our promo code FEELS12 and your deposit will have a money back guarantee up to 500 bucks. Join Symbol and start investing and profiting from your favorite teams today.